Welcome to Brisbane West Vineyards podcast. It's great to have you with us. We're a community of people sharing God's love, power, and life that's revealed in Jesus. We gather Sundays, 5 p.m. at Good News Lutheran School in Middle Park. We exist simply for the King and His kingdom, that His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, I was just reflecting that um, when Peter was chosen as a disciple, you know, he was probably about Reuben's age. Reuben, how old are you turning this year? 15, something like that, maybe around Reuben's age a little bit. Um, maybe towards the end of Jesus' life and, um, and his crucifixion. Maybe a bit more around Paul and Miriam's age, something like that. Perhaps maybe a little tad older, we're not actually entirely sure. But that's the kind of age that we're talking about when we talk about Peter. And sometimes we think of, you know, this um, strapping young man. Well, I'm not saying you guys are not strapping young men. But, um, <laughs> you know, somebody, you know, who's a little bit older perhaps in years, but... Um, yeah, so uh, when we're thinking about Peter and the transformation that he went through and some of the really tough things um, that happened in his life, as well as some of the amazing stuff, um, you know, let's keep in mind that he was a really young man and um, having to cope with quite a lot. And um, the transformation that happens for Peter is quite astounding. We'll have a look at that this evening. Now, Easter last week, um, seems ages ago already, um, Elijah informed me today that he's, uh, he's made his way through his chocolate stash, so he made his last a whole week. Has anybody still got their Easter stash going? Yes, I hope so. Hope so. We've got to make it last more than a week, don't we? But um, at this period of time, the church calendar is also really exciting, because um, although it's only like... A uh, few verses in, it, in Scripture. There was actually this um, six-week period, wasn't there, between the resurrection. If, if You might not know this, but between the resurrection and then um, Jesus' ascension, there were six weeks and then there was one extra week um, after that before Pentecost. And during those six weeks, um, Jesus appeared to, um, to his disciples on many occasions, something quite weird and wonderful. And, um, you know, each one of those occasions is kind of precious to us, and at the same time, it kind of blows our minds. We can't quite work out what's happening. Um, but there are key learnings in each of these times and accounts, obviously, that, and that's why it's in Scripture. And we're going to be looking at one of those conversations today and asking, what is the Holy Spirit trying to um, get across to us for us to grasp in one of those moments? Uh, so we're going to be looking at, you can see there in John 21, um, one of those uh, conversations that took place following the resurrection but before the ascension. And uh, so it could have been about this time in the time scales, you know, just after Easter sometime. Um, and uh, this conversation took place. I've got a beach up there. Um, <laughs> Eddie, would you expect any less, really, from me? But uh, this conversation took place on a beach. Um, and so that's why I picked that slide. Um, and uh, we're going to be having a look at this conversation. We've got Peter involved and the, the disciple that Jesus loved, uh, which finally is revealed in chapter 21. The last chapter in the book of John is John, um, the, the disciple John and the author of that gospel. Now, um, we all know Peter's story is not unfamiliar to us. We know that Peter um, was a passionate guy and he um, you know, often put his foot in his mouth, um, sort of jumped into situations before he realized what he was doing, um, but was a real passionate follower of Jesus. 
And um, we're just going to rewind a little bit before we get into the story today um, to um, Luke 22, verses starting in verse 54, going through to verse 62. Luke loved to write really long chapters, didn't he? Um, to get some of the backstory a little bit for Peter, just to remind us. And so we're going to read the account here of Peter's denial of Jesus, uh, which took place during Jesus's trial um, so I'm reading here in the NLT. You can read along. It's up on the screen anyways. Um, so they arrested Jesus and led him to the high priest's home. And Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it. And Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight. And she began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus's followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, You must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted, This must be one of them, because he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, Man, I don't know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. It's a really emotional part of the account, isn't it, of what happened? Can you imagine just how torn apart Peter must have felt in that moment. Text there describing he's weeping bitterly. And then as the hours you know, unfolded in the days ahead, he must have been just completely devastated you know, to see Jesus taken away and killed, knowing that those would have been the last words that his friend heard him say. I think it must have been quite unimaginable torment for Peter. But, you know, maybe you can imagine a little bit. Maybe, you know, at some point in your life, you have done something that brings upon you that feeling of shame or guilt, and you just can't face it. You keep it a secret, you hide it away, you've never told anyone. Perhaps there's something that eats away at you. And if that's not your experience, there's many people, we like to use the word out there, so I'll use it out there, who are haunted by their past in some way and they lie awake at night wishing that the mistakes that they've made could be undone in some way. And like Peter, they're just desperately wishing that that pain and torment would end. And we know that the shocking message of the gospel is that something has already been done, as Jonathan unpacked for us last week. Jesus' death, which was unfolding before Peter's eyes in that moment, was judgment day itself. And that was the day when God came and he dealt with all the sin and all the shame, sickness, death, darkness. He dealt with it all. And we heard, didn't we, last week from Jesus' own lips as he was on the cross moments before he died, it is finished. And that, those words confirm that the work of the cross was absolutely complete. 
that we can't add anything to it. At the time, Peter, who was hiding away somewhere in that fear and shame, he couldn't grasp the significance of what was happening. And I don't think if we were in his shoes, we would have either. But at times, even us today, we struggle to um, accept, I think, even with all the knowledge and the experience that we have of the love of God, we struggle to accept the completeness of that for some things that may have happened in our lives. And people all around us out there, they have no idea of the power of forgiveness for sins that has already been won for them through what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And they have absolutely no idea of the peace that awaits them once they open their hearts to him. But this is a wonderful and powerful message of the gospel, isn't it? So what was to become of Peter and was there a way back from, for him from these, this moment? Well, in John's eyewitness account, which is his gospel, um, he unpacks for us the transforming power of forgiveness, of restoration, and the recommissioning of Peter through a conversation which also took place around another charcoal fire on the beach. So now let's turn to read what happened in John 21. So we've skipped um, through Jesus' um, trial, his death, his resurrection, and now this has happened in the weeks that followed. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples before the sea, beside the Sea of Galilee. And this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, that's Peter, <laughs> has two names. Uh, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was, was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, Fellas, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, Throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to shore. Thanks, John. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the, load net, and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards away. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus appeared to the, his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus said. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. 
You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus had asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple that Jesus loved. The one who had leaned over to Jesus during the supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? And Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, you follow me. It's quite a lot to read there, wasn't it? But There's some really interesting things happening in this passage. I'm sure you've heard the conversation before. It's quite a monumental moment in Peter's life. But uh, not only that, as we're going to see, this conversation actually has far-reaching implications for all of us. And John has included it as an intentional epilogue in his in, um, to the whole of the gospel. Now, you might be familiar with um, John's prologue to his gospel, you know, where um, he begins, in the beginning was the word, and the word was uh, with God, and the word was God. That's the prologue to John. And this is the epilogue where he's wrapping up um, the story of his gospel. Thanks, Jonathan. So as well as recounting what happened for Peter personally, John is, wanting, um, is deliberately wanting to invite us as the readers to not only know about the good news that has been established through the life and ministry of Jesus, through the whole gospel that he's just written, but to establish us who are reading that account into the life of Jesus for ourselves and what comes next. We don't just want to close the book, you know, imagine sitting down and reading it all in one sitting. I don't know if anyone's read the gospel of John in one sitting before. I'm sure plenty of you have. But... Um, he doesn't want us just to close that book and go, well, that was a great story, put it back on the shelf and then carry on with our lives. Of course, when we read the gospel and we take it on board, so much more is happening in our hearts than that. And so once we've read the story of good news, I don't know what your experience has been, but I'm sure similar to mine, that we are forever changed by the message because in those pages and in those words, we encounter for ourselves the risen Jesus. And we get caught up in that story and we become commissioned into the continuing work of God as well through the church, which is Jesus' body in the earth. Just like what was happening for Peter that morning on the beach. So John, in writing his gospel, is wanting us to see that this message is about our participation in this story. And so there are three, thanks Jonathan, there are three key learnings for us as we um, learn how we can participate in that unfolding story. And the first one is forgiveness and restoration. So we've seen a glimpse um, of the backstory for Peter and that turmoil that he has been through. 
And we also remember, you know, that just before um, the denial happened, it was the Last Supper, wasn't it? And Peter was sort of lavishly saying to Jesus, you know, I would die for you. And that makes the rejection a few hours later even more shocking. So here, in the account that we just read in verse 10, John draws us into this intimate conversation, which takes place around that charcoal fire, which is a clear reminder of that denial scene. And he shows how, having experienced Jesus' forgiveness, Peter is able to move away from the horrors of that denial and to begin to embrace this whole new resurrection life that Jesus has breathed into him. Because it's not, it's a, it's a brand new kind of life. And that resurrection life, as Jonathan was talking about last week, it means something. And Peter, as we see, is forever changed by it. And so through their forgiveness and acceptance and then a commissioning of, um, by Jesus, Jesus restores Peter, not just so that he feels better and he can sleep at night knowing that what he's done has been forgiven, which is really important. But also, it's so that he become, can become a key player in partnering with Jesus in continuing his work in the earth. So John invites us to see that for us too, there's always hope. Hope for ourselves to find complete forgiveness, no matter the depth of our transgressions. And hope to share with others who also need to experience the power and the love of God through his forgiveness and his cleansing. And not only that, to, but to experience the restoration of a relationship with a God who gives us purpose and a role in his kingdom, no matter what our past or our mistakes. Thanks, Jonathan. The second thing we can learn about commissioning and partnership so the disciples have gone fishing. And yes, while this was the trade for some of those disciples before they met Jesus, John is using it as a broader picture um, of the work of the Spirit who fishes for men and for women. And so this whole scene is a picture of the brand new church at work catching new believers for Jesus. And we learned, don't we, in that story that the disciples have been fishing all night, but they didn't catch anything. Yet when Jesus comes and tells them to drop their nets one more time, there's a miraculous catch. And so we saw in the story that upon recognizing Jesus, Peter rushes, doesn't he, to be at, at Jesus' side. And Jesus, he says to Peter, go and fetch the fish that you just caught. Now Jesus is on the beach already cooking fish. So what's happening? So it's obvious that the disciples, they couldn't really claim a lot of, um, you know, responsibility for that catch because they'd been at it all night and they hadn't had any success at all. So it's plainly obvious in the text that it's Jesus is the one who's responsible for those fish. And Jesus makes a point of asking Peter to go and get what he has just caught, even though we know it's Jesus who's provided that catch. So... We can also see that Jesus doesn't need the fish because he's already got some and he's already cooking it. So what's Jesus doing? Well, there's an invitation here, isn't there? 
Jesus wants, John wants us to see that this invitation of Jesus is for us to participate with him in his kingdom work in the same way that he was validating Peter to go and get the fish that he caught with Jesus' help. Jesus is after our participation and he wants what we have to offer, our skills and our contribution. Because yes, whilst he's a God almighty and he could get it all done by himself, he doesn't choose to do it that way. He chooses to use each of us. So there's a clear picture of partnership here. Jesus wants our fish. He wants you and I to join him in his work of fishing. At the same time, the narrative reminds us that as disciples, we have to recognize that we need Jesus to get that job done. All night they were fishing in their own strength, but there were no fish. So we learn that we can't go it alone. We can't rely on our own strength or how things may be that we've done them before. Throw your nets in on the other side. Sounds simple, doesn't it? Why didn't they think of that? <laughs> so we've always got to be ready to hear Jesus' call and his direction in our lives and what we're doing. In one of the commentaries that I read um, on John this week, um, the author Edward Clink, he writes this, In this way, the lesson of this part of the narrative is clear. While the church is to be faithful in its participation in the mission and work of God, it also knows full well that its success is entirely dependent upon God. Simply put, we need Jesus. Thanks, Jonathan. Number three, focus on your calling and not on comparison. We can see through this intimate conversation around the fire that we've been looking at, Jesus embraces Peter for who he is and what he does and what they can accomplish together when Jesus is able to work through him. And in verse 15, we see how Jesus begins to commission Peter for the very specific task that he has prepared for him to do. It's very moving, isn't it, as Jesus uses that format of the three questions mirroring Peter's three denials to restore Peter and redeem those past mistakes. And we can see in the text that Peter's a little touchy, isn't he? He's hurt. But Jesus presses in in this space because it's critical for the life of the early church going forward. What was the task that Jesus was giving to Peter? Well, we go from fish to sheep. But the picture is the same. Jesus is commissioning Peter to love and care for the brand new people who are coming into the kingdom through Peter's ministry. And notice three times Jesus says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. So Jesus is trusting Peter to love in the way that he has been loved and to care in the way that he has been cared for. And Jesus makes it very personal. These people, Peter, belong to me. They're mine. You get to look after them and love them and care for them. When we go back to thinking a few, you know, week and a half before this took place, we've got Peter saying that he never knew Jesus. And now Jesus is saying to him, 
I'm trusting you with this. So he restores Peter in so many ways and he looks him right in the eye and he says, this is what I have for you to do. And yes, like me, it's going to cost you everything. It's quite amazing, isn't it, when we slow down and have a look at what this actually means. What would you give for a moment like that on the beach with Jesus looking you right in the eyes, in the heart and commissioning you for what he's got for you to do? Well, we see in the text that Peter's not perfect. (laughs) He's still got a lot of growing up to do because what does he do? Rather than drink that in and digest it and think, wow, this is amazing. He looks around at who he thinks might be his biggest competitor and asks, well, what about him? (laughs) Jesus is very direct in his reply, isn't he? He basically says, mind your own business (laughs) in a polite way. So he corrects Peter and he says, look, I'm the only one who matters. Just focus on me, what I'm asking you to do. I was talking with Jonathan about this the other day and thinking, you know, through Acts, um, well, through, through the Gospel of John particularly, we see this competition, don't we, between um, Peter and John, who was the disciple that Jesus loved. You know, they're rushing to the tomb together. They're, they're fighting over this, that and the other throughout the story. But when we go through to Acts, if you read, after, which is after this story and after they've been filled with the Spirit, you can see Peter and John have this wonderful partnership going where, remember, they... They, uh, they heal the, the, lep- the, um, the lame guy outside the temple. They end up um, before the court testifying together. They end up in prison together. And so it seems that um, this attitude that Jesus was nipping in the bud seemed to have taken root in their heart. And they've, they seem to be um, getting along through the book of Acts, which is wonderful to see. But Jesus is saying, look, there's no place for competition in the body of Christ. I think sometimes this is something that we struggle with, particularly in Australia, because we're such a competitive lot. So Jesus is saying, don't focus on what others are doing. Don't compare yourself to others. Don't compete in jealousy. This is about you and about Jesus and about your faithfulness and being obedient to doing what he has commissioned you to do. But at the same time, we need one another. So Peter's transformation has to be, I think, one of my favourite um, transformations in the New Testament. If we fast-forwarded this um, account a few um, weeks forward, we run into the morning of Pentecost, don't we? And we see Peter there, or all of the disciples, but Peter being filled with the Spirit. And the first thing that he does to express that new life that just kind of comes up and out through him He flings open the doors and he stands there in complete boldness, doesn't he? And he preaches his heart out about who Jesus is. This Jesus who you killed. And I just think that is just so wonderful. He's fully forgiven. He's fully restored. He's been commissioned. And there we see Peter partnering with the Holy Spirit in his brand new calling. No longer a slave to fear, as we were singing earlier. No longer afraid. No longer denying who Jesus 
is. But standing there in full confidence and letting the whole city know about what's happened. So the story of Peter is just such a wonderful picture, I think, of the transforming love of um, the power of God and what his forgiveness and acceptance and restoration of us um, can do um, for people who don't know him yet, but also for us on our journeys in following Jesus, in not, not letting our past and our past mistakes eat us up. But in looking at Peter and going, wow, look at that, what the power of the Holy Spirit has done. And what Jesus wants us to do is to partner with him because he's got a mission for us to complete. So Jesus made it quite personal on the beach for Peter and for John. So why don't we do that right now? (laughs) Just close your eyes and imagine that my voice is Jesus's for a moment. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the power of forgiveness for each one of us here this evening. We thank you for the call that you have for each one of us to partner with you in your kingdom. And I just pray right now for each one of us, Lord, that we would hear your voice clearly. In whatever stage we need to hear you right now. Forgiveness, restoration, commissioning, partnership, calling. Just take a moment. What is he putting on your heart right now? That's for you to answer with him. But I think this story shows us that what is implicit here in John's epilogue is that when we say yes to Jesus, it requires action, doesn't it? When we answer those questions, do you love me? Love clearly means obedience. Love means doing something doing what Jesus has asked us to do, knowing that he has things for us to do. And that brand new resurrection life that Jesus brought out last, that Jonathan brought out last week in his message means that now we get to partner in God's mission, just like Peter and John and the others. And so I'm going to open up, I'm going to draw that to a close now, but I want to open up this space at the front here for you guys to respond and to to come for prayer, if you would like to 
um, respond in any of the ways that we've heard through Peter's story tonight. If you want to respond in needing to hear forgiveness or restoration, or if you're feeling that you want to respond to God's partnership in his commissioning in your life and the calling that you feel that he's putting there and stirring and you just want to affirm that and have a conversation with someone to affirm that in prayer this evening, then I'd love to invite you to come forward and just to respond tonight. So any of those three areas, I'd love to pray with you. So how about we pray to close? Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you, Lord, for your work of restoration and forgiveness for each one of us, that you have called us into partnership with you. We thank you, Lord, that we, we are not um, left on the shelf in any way in your kingdom, but we're all invited to join and partner with you. We thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for that privilege, for that trust in us that you have. So, Lord, we just say that we love you and we want to say yes again tonight to your work in us and your work with us and your work through us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen.